Well, hey, friends, welcome to another episode of Called to Confidence. I have something a little different for you today. And over the next few episodes, I'm going to read my book, The Girl in the Garage, Three Steps to Letting Go of Your Past to You. Now, in case you're new to the show or new to me and my story, the story that I've written is very PG. But if you have small children in the room, you may not want to have to explain to them some of the things in the book. So I would suggest that you either listen later when they're not around or put in some earbuds. Also, you might want to grab a notebook and a pen. My book is written workbook style. So as I'm reading this to you, I'm going to guide you into those sections and prompt you. And um, hey, this is going to be a great time. If you are struggling with confidence and self-worth issues, I've got you covered. All right, let's do this. What if the only thing standing in the way of changing your life was having the confidence you need? I found there's three areas you need to be confident in in order to succeed. Your mind, your faith, and your leadership. One or all three of these areas will always be in play. You are listening to Call to Confidence. I'm your host, Sharon Hughes, and confidence looks good on you. Chapter 6 The Mess Gets Messier. While in Oregon, my stepfather made a pass at me, and everything blew up around me again. I tried to laugh it off but had no idea what to do. My mother self-medicated again, and I was put on a bus to California to stay with my father. It's amazing to me to look back and see that my stepfather and both of his sons assaulted me at different times without knowing what each other had done. From a spiritual, scientific, and psychological standpoint, what is causing this pattern? It's rhetorical. I'm begging the question so you'll see the pattern along with me. It is sin, subconscious, and conscious behaviors combined that seep into the conscious mind with enough ego to justify it and perpetuate it. It's still wrong. It doesn't matter what fancy title you give it. It's wrong, and someone always pays a very high price. I got off the bus in California and went home with my father, Stephanie, and her three kids. Stephanie didn't leave him after all. It's not because my father had gotten sober and become a great guy. It was because she was stuck in her own pattern of self-worth issues and his lies. She bought the lies he told her, that he was sorry and it wouldn't happen again. He was always sorry after he hurt her. He was sorry for hurting his previous two wives, too. He played the victim that everyone left him, and he remained the same alcoholic man he had been. Basically, two and a half years had passed since I left, and nothing had changed. I got a job at a department store and tried to put my 17-year-old self together. It should have been my senior year of high school with dreams of going to prom and college, but it was the exact opposite. I was thrust into adulthood without a plan or support and no idea what to do next. 
I still had no one to turn to and no idea that this wasn't how the neighbors in our middle-class Costa Mesa neighborhood were living. This life had indeed become a normal cycle of craziness. On the outside, I looked fine, but on the inside, I was completely shattered. I wrote a letter to my mother telling her how I hated my father. Stephanie found it and betrayed me by showing it to my father, and he kicked me out of the house. At 17, I found myself homeless. I had become a statistic. The message I was hearing was that I didn't matter. I was a problem to get rid of, and no one really had the time or the desire to help me. I left knowing and believing I wasn't loved or wanted. I packed up my personal items once again, I swear this is why I struggle to pack for a trip, and caught a bus to stay with a guy I knew from work. I stayed on random couches until I was able to find my oldest brother, Bill. Bill had a big heart and would do anything for me. After I was taken from Missouri, Bill had hitchhiked in desperation all the way to California and demanded to see me. My father wouldn't allow it. Instead, he called the police and had him arrested. For what? I don't know. I still remember seeing Bill crying as the police took him away. He just wanted to make sure his baby sister was okay. Staying with Bill and his wife, Laura, had its pros and cons. I was safe from being abused, but they weren't exactly model citizens. Bill was dealing drugs and Laura was a stripper. This probably wasn't the best environment for a teenage girl. With my background, I was the perfect candidate to end up on drugs as a stripper or both. All I can say is thank God I didn't up in either lifestyle. Instead, I dreamed of getting married, having my own family, finishing school, living in a beautiful home and baking cookies. Basically, I wanted the American dream. Within a year, my mother and stepfather had moved back to California and guess where I ended up? Yeah, living with them in a motel of all places. Once again, life kept going as if nothing ever happened. The pattern of dysfunction continued on and there was no accountability by any of the adults in my life. I felt sick and dizzy, but numb at the same time. Darkness hung over me and I tried to hide behind a mask of perfectionism and denial while depression and hopelessness crept in. I'm sure the depression was a symptom of PTSD. I did the best I could to survive and figure things out. I got a job at another department store in the mall, met a guy, and married him. I married the pattern. I thought marrying Steve and starting my, my own life over was going to be everything I dreamed of, but it wasn't. I married the pattern that had been modeled and ingrained into my subconscious by 19 years of madness. Another shocker, right? I found out I was pregnant just a few months after saying I do to Mr. Don't. Everything went wrong from the beginning. I discovered he was addicted to everything a human being could be addicted to. It was 1985 and no one was talking about mental health and addictive behaviors in mainstream media like they are now. 
While I was pregnant, we separated and the breakup makeup dance started. Even after I brought a beautiful baby girl home from the hospital and another life was involved, Steve couldn't stay sober. Like many people that suffer from abandonment issues, he tried to numb the pain. More on Steve in chapter 10. The breakup makeup dance continued for three years until I'd had enough of the alcohol, porn, cheating, lying, losing jobs, running up credit cards, shooting steroids, and the list goes on. This right here is the pattern repeating itself. Steve was a different version of my father. He was never mean and he was always sorry when he binged, but he wasn't ready to get sober. This was not what I wanted for my daughter. She deserved better, but I didn't know how to break through it all. So my daughter and I moved in with my mother and stepfather again. I'm sure you want to yell, don't do it, but I had nowhere else to go face-to-face -face with betrayal. I hadn't seen my stepbrother Kevin until I was 25 years old, and my daughter was tiny, innocent, and five years old. We were still living with my mother and stepfather when Kevin showed up needing a place to stay. He was addicted to drugs and alcohol and had been living in his car after losing his job. I'll never forget standing in the kitchen, fearing that monster might harm my daughter and telling my stepfather what Kevin had done to me in Missouri. My stepfather replied, he just wanted to have some fun. My world came crashing down around me again. Fun was his reply. Did I hear that correctly? Yes, I had heard him loud and clear. This is the culture of rape that many of us suffer under. This is the mindset that destroys women and it's time to put an end to it. My body shook with fear, hatred, and shame. I felt so abandoned and betrayed. There was no one to stand up for me, and the message once again was, you don't matter. This shouldn't have surprised me after what my stepfather had done too, but it did. At this point, I still hadn't had any crisis counseling. I had no voice. I continued to carry the shame and responsibility for everything that had happened to me. I remained voiceless and felt trapped in my own life. Wedding bells ring again. In 1992, I married Jake. We had been dating a year when he proposed on the beach in Catalina. His proposal included a promise to love and care for not only me, but my daughter also. Of course, I said yes. He was athletic and reserved with dreams of pursuing a career in law enforcement. I thought I was finally stepping into the life I dreamed of, and in some ways, I was. Within a year, his career dreams were coming true, and our world changed. We moved to the valley in Southern California, and I continued my short stint as a swimwear model before settling into minivan mom life and adding two sweet sons, four dogs, and countless cats to our home. We looked picture perfect on the outside. People even called us Barbie and Ken, but we were anything but perfect. Chapter 7, The Unraveling Unravel, to separate, disentangle, to come undone. Right before our 20th wedding anniversary, I came undone. I unraveled completely, something I should have done decades ago, 
but couldn't afford to. There wasn't the safety to do that. So the storm silently brewed under the surface of my skin until I couldn't take any more. I told Jake I wanted a divorce. If we couldn't get it right in 20 years, I didn't believe we ever would, and I wasn't willing to wait and see. This was the hardest decision I've ever made in my life. Despite being in and out of marriage counseling for years, nothing was ever resolved between us. For our entire 20-year marriage, I felt unseen, unheard, terribly lonely, and the pressure to continue looking like a swimwear model. Jake was pursuing his career and his passion for dirt bike racing, and I resented his lack of emotional availability more and more. During a routine doctor's appointment, my doctor told me he thought I was suffering from depression. As sympathetic as he was, I was ashamed. I had heard too many Christians say, you just need Jesus and you'll be okay, and condemn the use of antidepressants. Because of the things both my parents and Jake had said to me, I believed that if I couldn't handle something, there was something wrong with me. When I told Jake what the doctor said, he asked me what did I have to be depressed about and criticized me that I just wasn't thankful enough. He wasn't even a religious guy and he was buying into the judgmental religious mindset. If you're on medication for depression, there's no shame in that. I completely believe people can experience healing from Holy Spirit, medication, and a ton of hard work, or any combination of the three. In my case, it was a ton of hard work and the Holy Spirit. I desperately wanted the pain to end, but didn't know how to stop the bleeding deep within my soul. All I knew to do was to turn to my faith, my Jesus, my Savior. I pressed into Him like I'd never done before. I started researching inspirational books and found Holly Girth's faith-based book, You're Already Amazing. I had never read a faith-based book that said I'm okay and I'm loved as I am. I found Holly on Facebook and reached out to her. I told her a little about my life and my desire to help others that were hurting, and she suggested I get credentialed as an MFT, Marriage and Family Therapist. I knew it would take over a decade to do, since I'd only completed a few semesters of college, so she suggested I become a life coach and introduced me to Janet Daughtry of Life Breakthrough Academy. I immediately began working with Janet one-on-one, -on -one, and my life started to make a hint of sense. In one of our sessions, we were working on values and choosing well for our lives. She asked, what if you're not getting the support you need and your values don't align? She wasn't exactly intending to coach me on a personal level. We were working on techniques to use with clients, but that question stayed with me. It had been seven months since I told Jake I wanted a divorce. He was trying to convince me to stay, but I was too broken to believe in him or us anymore. I was afraid to leave. I was afraid to stay. It went against everything I said I believed in, especially my faith. I was afraid of what the future would hold for my kids and myself. I had no job, no credentialed education, no family to support me, and I was on the verge of closing my wholesale business. I was also afraid of what people would think, especially churchy people. I'd always been afraid of what people think. That's how I was raised. 
From childhood, I had been a people pleaser and an approval addict, thanks to the be a good girl and I'll love you message from my parents and the environment I grew up in. Every decision I'd ever made was based on fear and not on who and what I wanted in my life. Now I was faced with a decision. Could I and would I actually leave? What about my faith? I'd had a passion for connecting hurting women and for serving at church, but how in the world could I get divorced and still do that? Divorce is clearly frowned upon by the church. I decided the pain was that I was in was too much to bear, and I left Jake in the summer of 2013. And when I did, I completely hit rock bottom emotionally. No one really knew what I was going through since I had learned decades before how to show up and look all together. No one knew that I would cry so hard I would throw up and spend days in bed. When it was time to pick up my kids or go to work, I pulled it together again. It's my strong belief that you cannot heal in the same toxic environment you were broken in. Well, hey friends, that is chapter six and seven. And I hope that you're learning a lot from looking at this crazy story and pattern that was in my life. It's hopefully going to shed some light on either your personal experiences or in observing some of the relationships and people around you that you care about. You'll be able to see why they do the things that they do. And um, hey, if this is serving you, please share it out. And I'd love to hear from you. Drop me a note, Sharon at SharonHughes.net. Until next time, my friends, I wish you every good thing.